Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast, where we are discussing the Federalist Papers. Today we will talk about Federalist 72. We typically begin these podcasts with three big ideas concerning the essay under consideration. Here are three big ideas concerning Federalist 72. Big Idea 1. Hamilton, in Federalist 72, reminded his readers of the importance of stability in administration and offered reasons to be concerned about changes in administration. Big Idea 2. Hamilton, in Federalist 72, defended the utility and benefit of the president being eligible for re-election, rather than being barred from re-election. Big Idea 3. Hamilton pointed to the importance of experience in office as part of his defense of the eligibility of the president for re-election to office. So the argument of Federalist 72 as a whole is focused on defending the idea, reflected in the Constitution that it ought to be possible to re-elect the president. This is both directly argued, that is Big Idea 2, and indirectly argued, as we will see with Big Ideas 1 and 3. Big Idea 1 concerns Hamilton's worries about changes in administration and the changes in politics and policy implied by such changes in administration. Quoting Hamilton on this point, quote, to reverse and undo what has been done by our predecessor, is very often considered by a successor as the best proof he can give of his own capacity and desert. And in addition to this propensity, where the alteration has been the result of public choice, the person substituted is warranted in supposing that the dismission of his predecessor has proceeded from a dislike to his measures, and that the less he resembles him, the more he will recommend himself to the favor of his constituents." End quote. One recalls from somewhat later in American history, President Jackson's use of what came to be called the spoil system, to the victors go the spoils, as a way to snap the government. Now, Jackson also seems to have had a kind of faith in the ability of citizens, without further special qualification, to do the work of government, a faith that denied the importance of expertise, whether theoretical or gained through experience. It is no surprise to see Hamilton in part because of his belief in the necessity of expertise for governing well, taking the opposite position. If stability of government and administration is good, then a complete changeover of personnel in the aftermath of an election is not good on those grounds. Hamilton connected the dots between the question of re-election to the presidency and wisdom, and thought of re-eligibility for the office of the presidency as, quote, necessary to enable the people when they see reason to approve of his conduct, to continue him in his station in order to prolong the utility of his talents and virtues and to secure to the government the advantage of permanency in a wise system of administration, end quote. Later in Federal 72, Hamilton offered a similar insight, quoting Hamilton here, quote, by necessitating a change of men in the first office of the nation, it would necessitate a mutability of measures. It is not generally to be expected that men will vary and measures remain uniform. The contrary is the usual course of things, and we need not be apprehensive that there will be too much stability, while there is even the option of changing, nor need we desire to prohibit the people from continuing their confidence where they think it may be safely placed, and where, by constancy on their part, they may obviate the fatal inconveniences of fluctuating councils and a variable policy. 
end quote. We see here Big Idea 1 bleeding into Big Idea 2. Big Idea 2 focuses on Hamilton's denial of the soundness of a limit to re-eligibility for the office of the presidency, quoting Hamilton here, quote, Nothing appears more plausible at first sight, nor more ill-founded upon close inspection, than a scheme which in relation to the present point has had some respectable advocates. I mean that of continuing the chief magistrate in office for a certain time, and then excluding him from it, either for a limited period or forever after, end quote. Hamilton pointed to several reasons for this. One stemmed from Hamilton's belief that those ineligible for re-election would lack sufficient incentive to govern well or virtuously. This was rooted in Hamilton's conception of human nature and human passions, quoting Hamilton on this point, quote, This position will not be disputed so long as it is admitted that the desire of reward is one of the strongest incentives of human conduct or that the best security for the fidelity of mankind is to make their interests coincide with their duty. Even the love of fame, the ruling passion of the noblest minds, which would prompt a man to plan and undertake extensive and arduous enterprises for the public benefit, requiring considerable time to mature and perfect them, if he could flatter himself with the prospect of being allowed to finish what he had begun, would, on the contrary, deter him from the undertaking, when he foresaw that he must quit the scene before he could accomplish the work, and must commit that, together with his own reputation, to hands which might be unequal or unfriendly to the task." End quote. Let's not let go unnoticed Hamilton's claim that the, quote, love of fame, end quote, is the, quote, ruling passion of the noblest minds, end quote. Would you agree with that? Would that reflect well on noble minds, do you think? Do we mean something different by nobility today than Hamilton did? Hamilton turned from consideration of the noble to consideration of the less noble. What of an avaricious man gaining the presidency? What would be the effect on such a man of being allowed to continue in office, as opposed to being forced to leave after a fixed term with no possibility of re-election? Hamilton thought that such a man's avariciousness might be curbed, quoting Hamilton here, quote, His avarice might be a guard upon his avarice. Add to this that the same man might be vain or ambitious, as well as avaricious. And if he could expect to prolong his hours by his good conduct, he might hesitate to sacrifice his appetite for them to his appetite for gain. But with the prospect before him of approaching an inevitable annihilation, his avarice would be likely to get the victory over his caution, his vanity, or his ambition." End quote. Hamilton had more to say about the possibility of ambition leading to a political crisis, observing that in the absence of the possibility of re-election, an ambitious office holder, quote, would be much more violently tempted to embrace a favorable conjecture for attempting the prolongation of his power at every personal hazard than if he had the probability of answering the same end by doing his duty, end quote. The most important ideas in Federalist 72 are less discreet than in other essays. Big Idea 3 refers to just that theme of experience in politics and policymaking that was so important, both within this essay and in the Federalist Papers more generally. And, as already suggested above, a significant part of Hamilton's defense of the eligibility of presidents for re-election was the positive value he placed on experience, quoting Hamilton here, quote, that experience is the parent of wisdom is an adage the truth of which is recognized by the wisest as well as the simplest of mankind. What more desirable or more essential than this quality in the governors of nations? 
where more desirable or more essential than in the first magistrate of a nation? Can it be wise to put this desirable and essential quality under the ban of the Constitution and to declare that the moment it is acquired, its possessor shall be compelled to abandon the station in which it was acquired and to which it is adapted? End quote. Notably, Hamilton cited experience as an important consideration without respect to the skills of any particular person, quoting Hamilton once again. Quote, without supposing the personal essentiality of the man, it is evident that a change of the chief magistrate at the breaking out of a war, or at any similar crisis, for another, even of equal merit, would at all times be detrimental to the community, inasmuch as it would substitute inexperience to experience, and would tend to unhinge and set afloat the already settled train of the administration, end quote. We often close these podcasts with a brief reflection on the relevance of the essay under review for politics today and tomorrow. One important change in law has been the ratification of the 22nd Amendment, limiting presidents to two terms in office. One notable fact about Hamilton's argument is that it seems to have two different tones or moods. For want of better terms, let's call them optimistic and pessimistic. The pessimistic view was that an officeholder with bad motivations would not want to leave office at the end of eligibility, especially if supported by the people, alarmed at the loss of their candidate, quoting Hamilton here, quote, There may be conceived circumstances in which this disgust of the people, seconding the thwarted ambition of such a favorite, might occasion greater danger to liberty than could ever reasonably be dreaded from the possibility of a perpetuation in office by the voluntary suffrages of the community exercising a constitutional privilege, end quote. The other tone or mood, perhaps reflecting a more optimistic view, thought of this problem in terms of honoring the will of the electorate, quoting Hamilton here, quote, there is an excess of refinement in the idea of disabling the people to continue in office men who would entitle themselves, in their opinion, to approbation and confidence, the advantages of which are at best speculative and equivocal and are overbalanced by disadvantages far more certain and decisive, end quote. The argument in Federalist 72 presumes an eligibility of presidents for re-election beyond a second term. So it is worth wondering how the logic of the argument in Federalist 72 applies to American politics in the aftermath of the ratification of the 22nd Amendment. Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties Podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit our website at sunwater.org. Thank you.